Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this week's episode of the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm thrilled that you're here and we have such a wonderful human being on our show today. Her name is Sarah Hatcher. And, you know, we actually met, Sarah and I, back in 2013 at the Confluence. My son was um, just over two years old. I was there with my parents to help watch him so I could practice yoga. And uh, we practiced next to each other in Dina Kingsburg's class that year. And she was just a lovely person. And little did I know that our paths would cross again in different ways. And so when I received my certification from Sherat Joyce in 2015, um, Sarah was living in Aberdeen, Scotland then, and she wrote me a beautiful card that came in the mail. Uh, It was just such a surprise and so lovely. And I wrote her a letter back and yeah, it was, it was just a, a really beautiful kind of uh, friendship that, that was occurring, but on a very different plane than the physical plane, uh, maybe on a spiritual plane. Maybe we've been sisters in a past life or something. Um, and so now she is living in Dublin, Ireland, and um, so many different people sent me messages saying that I should interview Sarah for our podcast. And so when I reached out to her, I did not put two and two together that um, Sarah was the same Sarah that I had met at the Confluence and who had written me that beautiful letter. And she reminded me of that in our email exchange. And so this is just a fun conversation. Sarah is an incredible woman. I am just in awe of her physical capabilities as a human being. She was a firefighter, um, an athlete, a competitive skier, a soccer player, um, did a lot of really intense things with her body and to her body, uh, including Ashtanga yoga. And so she's been practicing Ashtanga yoga now for over 20 years um, throughout different phases of life, throughout her two pregnancies. Um, and she's just a, an incredibly inspirational woman who um, I think doesn't feel that there's any limitation to her capacity or ability to do things. Um, Whatever she puts her mind to happens. We also talk about a really challenging experience that's come up in her life recently, uh, which was during the pandemic. Her and her husband and her two children had just moved to Dublin and um, she had just left a very... uh, large supportive community, Ashtanga Yoga community in Scotland, and, you know, had to um, kind of reintegrate in Dublin. And all of a sudden the pandemic hit in 2020 and her and her husband separated um, shortly after that, shortly after moving there. And so she's been in a process of trying to consciously uncouple while raising two young children, as well as um, starting a Mysore program, a yoga school uh, in her new city, in her new home. And we talk about how all of this 
upheaval and change um, has affected her personal practice. She was an advanced practitioner practicing four series with David Griggs and Dina for about 10 years, pretty consistently. And um, all of the emotional uh, weight and um, the changes that have happened uh, have really changed her approach to practice and how she's able to best use the practice now uh, to help her find that sense of grounding and uh, nourishing and to create energy in her own life um, rather than laying it out all on the mat and leaving it there and having nothing left to give at the end of the day. So um, yeah, as a mother of two boys, you know, it's like running a marathon all day long. And uh, she is right there running it with them, of course. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the challenges of motherhood and, and being an advanced practitioner as well as a teacher of yoga. Um, so I just want to, uh, you know, open this conversation up for you all to enjoy and listen to. Um, Sarah has made a trip to Mysore uh, practicing there. And although she's never chosen to make that trip frequently or often for various reasons, um, a lot of different things in life uh, you know, make it not possible for everyone to go to Mysore, even people that are deeply dedicated to the practice and to teaching this practice. We're going to talk a little bit about that with her as well, why, why she made some different choices and the teachers that helped guide her in her journey and in her path, and why she continued to devote her time and energy to the senior certified teachers from that lineage and how she still really loves and and cherishes the lineage and everything that she's learned from them about um, the Ashtanga Yoga method and practice. So yeah, lots to unpack here, lots to cover. I think you're just going to um, really have some, some great insights from this conversation. And I uh, look forward to having you jump right in. So let's get to it. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony, and I'm here with Russell Case. Good morning, Harmony. Good morning. You know, uh, today, yeah. we have Sarah Hatcher, who's the morning Mysore director at Meadowlark Yoga. Mm -hmm. She's a senior yoga teacher registered with the Yoga Alliance and teaches workshops throughout Scotland offers retreats at yoga in, in Italy. I'm a little confused, though. You're not Scottish? No, I'm American. <laughs> and I actually oh. used to run the program in Meadowlark, but now I'm established in Dublin, Ireland. So uh, I think I think I've got to, like, change my bio a bit. But, yeah, I used to run that info. one. That's yeah, okay. I'm not sensing or hearing any kind of Scottish <laughs> at all. No, no, I'm from Reno, Nevada. That's where I grew up. And I've been living in Europe 10 years now. I spent wow. eight years in Scotland and the last two here in Ireland. Yeah. You're kind of like a like a, a skiing person. Like you were like really very deep into the skiing world in in Nevada. Is that right? Yeah, like you're that's like right. A, like an athlete, like a real athlete. Yeah, so I grew up in the Reno Lake Tahoe area, so I spent most of my childhood skiing 
watching my dad fish in the rivers, you know, just being outside, lots of camping. Um, and I, that's exactly how I describe myself, just very athletic, always wanting to incline to do anything with my body. And um, I think that that what, what brought me to yoga because I was, got so injured through all these uh, sports with this competitive um, lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think when I was dancing, I had some knee stuff, some knee injuries. But I also remember when I got really like a little bit older and was very, very serious about dancing, I stopped skiing or snowboarding altogether because I was so worried about injuring myself and having it affect my dance sort of career or progression. But then when I started yoga, I also didn't want to injure myself. I know. (laughs) Is was skiing, was that invented in Scotland? In Scotland, in Scotland yeah. I don't know I where think, it was. I think it's I think it's Austrian. Is it I, Austrian? Is I that, think they're the ones it? who invented the first ski lift. Because you're Scottish, aren't you, Harmony? Yes. And your dad was a ski and a ski instructor. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So well, I just it's uh, Canada, and we lived right near Banff, where you know there's all the big mountains, the big Rocky Mountains, and I think I'm really skins. hung up on the Scotland thing. And you I'm are. In you the need sc- to let it go. Okay. <laughs> but Scotland is. I mean, I'm hung up on it too, Russell, because my kids were. <laughs> My kids were born there. Um, my husband and I were married there, and I I love the Scottish people. And yeah. you know, getting my British citizenship it's, and staying there and working there, I I love Scotland too. It's so beautiful there, right? It's like so green and the Highland Is it green. The Highland Mountains are like sleepy giants. Oh my goodness! I've only yeah. been to Glasgow, but I love to. I would love to go back and go back to some other areas yeah. travel around a little <laughs> you guys will have to take a trip and go up to the sky and kind of the higher yeah, yeah. it'd that be would amazing be, you'd love it yeah. one of my favorite shows is um uh um the thick of it which um has is a, is about uh, british politics and it's by arnando ionucci who did veep veep's a very popular show um and it has basically it's all of these very soft British Southerners from like mm-hmm. Sussex and and London who are just being abused by Scots, and like you see these you know because a lot of the the, the British um, parliamentarians all you know did their their schooling in Scotland and S- Scottish boarding schools and they're you just learn like how to really take abuse <laughs> and so these guys like alistair mcdonald or like just alistair campbell or just like who's the 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 lead character in the thick of it is based on and he's just the most foul abusive person and you, it's it's fantastically hilarious <laughs> and I, i'm so sorry I, i'm not familiar with the show but i could see how um well right there scott's and the English, yeah. I think the Scots are tough, aren't they? The, the <laughs> classic line from the show is um, is Alistair uh, Campbell saying to to someone, "You're about as useful as a marzipan dildo." I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> it's just oh. like oh, oh. it's a like that isn't really very useful. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. How did you know I was going to go there of all places? I know how your brain works. (laughs) But did you move to Scotland initially for love? Is that what drew you there? 
No, that's a great question. I went there to be a guest teacher, like a lot of us oh, Mysore yeah. teachers. So I was living in Philadelphia and um, students um, at the, the school or David Grieg and I, David Grieg's school, Ashtanga Yoga Philadelphia. I was there with him, assisting him, practicing there. And students of ours were in Mysore and met um, this incredible lady, Karen Brenneman. And she <laughs> is now Karen Kirkness, but she... Um, she knew some of our students and they said, oh, you should have Sarah come and teach for you this summer. And I was already traveling to Europe to go see Dina. Oh, cool. And and so I was like planning a trip to Europe and it just so happened I got in touch with Karen and it worked out that I could teach there for, oh, I think it was like a five week Mysore cover for her um, alongside seeing Dina. And um, that's when I met my husband and that's why I stayed. Because oh. <laughs> he was he was living there two years. He's he's from Australia, and that's oh. kind of the rest is history. I stayed, um, I ran the program, and I had to go back to the U.S. the next mm-hmm. year. And that's how I met you, Harmony, as right. I was in the confluence in San Diego, and um, you and I it was the spring of 2013. Yeah, I had to go back to the U.S. to get like yeah my visa and kind of take care of the business side of things of getting married in Scotland and just leaving yeah and um yeah saw Dina in, in the confluence and I got to meet you practice yeah next we to practiced you. right beside each other yeah and that was the <laughs> only time that. I've met you actually so it's kind of fun yeah, yeah yeah no that was such a that was such a cool like coincidence <laughs> yeah yeah I remember that practice and that meeting really clearly and yeah yeah yeah, yeah it was beautiful and I, after that time, it was so beautiful. After that time, I went back to the, back to Scotland, and and that's where we lived um, for up until up until the pandemic, really, the uh, end of nineteen, two thousand nineteen. And then you moved oh. right in twenty twenty before the pandemic to Dublin. Yeah, you got it. We just moved wow. here. We didn't. I only had about two and a half months to teach, live here, try to see the city, try to meet some yeah. friends, and then of course we had the close closing of the world. So. Um, yeah, there was a few kind of quiet years there uh, here, here. So yeah, wow, that's yeah. intense. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I I missed that in the bio that that you sent that you're actually living in Ireland now. Yeah, yeah she's in Dublin. Oh I'm my in goodness. Dublin. Dublin. I mean, I, I I don't think I'm picking up an Irish accent, but I might a little bit, maybe. Mm. A little bit. They say Dublin. <laughs> did, they say did you the Dublin? Did you pick up a Scottish accent when you were there? Mm, I don't think so, but I think no. I think I mean. And I'm, I don't know, I think maybe a little bit, but I definitely am I sounding, I'm sounding less and less American than, I mean, I sound very American, but not as much yeah. as I used to. Mm-hmm. You have like Russell's accent, that kind of like In between. soft American, yeah, slightly European-ish. In between. <laughs> I, would, I would think that actually having married a, an Australian and not having married a Scot, it's also quite a bit different. That's, I mean, because you're not living with it. And, you know, when I was married to a Brit and I never really left Britain, I never really left England the whole time that I was married. And even when I was living in San Francisco, I'd go home to England. Right. So there's a very <laughs> Australian quality to our home. Exactly. Like yeah. the way Tim Hatcher talks, the way the way his family was. Um, so, yeah, two of us, two expats living in Scotland, yeah. we were definitely the outsiders, but the community of our friends, um, some were Scottish, some weren't. And that's classic yoga 
Shala Mysore program type yeah. thing. There's people from all over the world that practice. Right. So it wasn't that there was, it was a Scottish studio, of course, that Karen started in Meadowlark, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of people from all over the world there. So um, we it took us a long time to become Scottish. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to accept yeah. you were becoming Scottish. <laughs> or even understand, um, understand people. And that's the same here in Ireland. Yeah. Like it's taken me a while to understand uh, what people are saying and yeah. yeah just something simple as your males here you know what yeah, yeah. <laughs> i remember when i was in scotland um they, one of the students has like because sometimes if they're speaking really quickly with that really strong accent and you're not used to hearing it <laughs> You're yeah. just like, are you speaking English to me? <laughs> That's a tough accent. And it it took me, I had to say, ask this poor man, to, I mean, he was lovely, to repeat what he said like five times. And yeah. finally, because it was also like a little bit out of context, you know, he was asking me about bears in Canada. <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> What is he oh. saying to me? Oh, yeah, that's that's yeah. a very very a Glaswegian too. They're going to talk about yeah. everything. They're going to chat. Yeah. 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 I had so a long. It was it was it was funny though. It was like the funniest thing afterwards. I was like, wow, yeah. that was like I was listening to a completely different language. <laughs> I had a long conversation with a with a lady from from Scotland about students, and I thought that we were talking about achievement for a long time because the, the student. <laughs> What the student was in skills. Um, I was like, oh, so yeah, the skills, I think, you know, they do really um, improve over time. And it's, I started to realize that she wasn't understanding me either. Right. Because <laughs> right. what she was saying was schools. Oh, schools. But she was, the skills. The skills, the skills. are great. <laughs> you know, and like, oh, yeah. huh, what, what's going You're on having right two now? separate <laughs> conversations <laughs> with each other. <laughs> Okay. Scottish language is hard. Yeah, it's it's fun though. It's interesting when you're an expat living in like another culture, even if it you do speak the language. There is like these sort of funny things that you realize, like, oh wow, I'm really not in America. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, very very not American. I went I went back to the U.S. last summer to just see what it was like, be with my family for a while, and it was just totally different than I remembered. Even 10 years ago, it's really changed a lot. Like, um, and I was just happy to get back to Europe. I gotta say, I love being, (laughs) I love being American and going to and visiting my family, but, um, I think I'm here for, I'm here to stay. Yeah. How how have you noticed the the difference? Oh, a couple of the differences, like, well, the wildfires, that's huge. And we Mm. can talk about that too, but we were there in end of July and in the, all of August, it was just the smoke was there in the Reno, Tahoe area, California, all the way through till my parents told me all the way through October, like end of October. Wow. Yeah. Just, just the, 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 um, the intensity of the fires that was different. Um, there weren't that many parks where we were like outdoor play mm. parks for kids. That kind of surprised me. Whereas when I, I grew up, I remember having seen lots of parks around, but compared to here in Europe, like say Dublin or even Edinburgh, there'd be loads of parks like, kids I'm talking like kid f- places yeah. to go that are really nice and um and I, I only found like a couple in reno you know it's interesting i wanted to talk more about your family actually um you said something really interesting when when what you wrote to us that you, your parents i think 
didn't grow up wealthy. And so when, when they became professionals, like your father was a, was a lawyer and your mother was a, a teacher, um, they kind of just threw everything at you because they had the means to. I just wanted to find out more, more about them. And I wanted to hear more about your experience with, with fire, which is extensive. <laughs> but I just want to start first with, with what you can tell us about your parents. Were, were they Nevada natives? You know, how did they get to be where they are? No, that's a really, that's so sweet of you to ask about my parents, because my, my dad, is, I'll start with him, he was actually um, from Reno, but ended up going to school at Berkeley, and went on to move back to Reno, but he went to Vietnam War, oh, wow. and was drafted, and had four, four purple hearts, and he never oh, really man. talked about it growing up, right, it was like, yeah. that was part of my past, and we don't really talk about it. Um, but we work hard. We work hard. Yeah. It was like, okay, we work hard. But I remember when I was about 12 or 13, he gave me his purple hearts and was like, these are for you. And you can hold these when you're ready to, you know, I'll have them all of them for you when you want them. Um, so he, he kind of, I think they, they, he, his mentality was you can, you try anything you want to do and just, just see what you like and, and get and just, and see what suits you. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was pretty neat. And he was, um, yeah, we're, I'm close with both my parents to this day. So my mom saying she, but she's from Ohio. So she grew up in kind of, um, uh, Sandusky, Ohio area where, and mm. then, uh, and then she moved to North Carolina for a while, oldest of four children. And when she went to you know, put herself through college, she drove her VW bug across country for a teaching job in California in, um, in the, it's the Folsom area where she was near Sacramento outside Sacramento so she she really just was always ready to start her career and be successful from a very young age Mm -hmm. then when she met my dad I think um, late 20s early 30s you know she he was still going to school on the GI Bill and she was already set up as a teacher so I think there was this time yeah and they lived in California for a while and then they decided to settle back when he finished law school in Reno and for my mom, she was already established in California. She didn't really want to leave California, but now they both are still living in Reno to this day. And um, my mom was a teacher for, I don't know, 30 some years. And my dad just retired just wow. this year He t- at 77. So um, I feel pretty grateful that they had this, this, um, uh, just this, this interest to keep my sister and I interested in all sorts of things that they never got yeah. to do. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Because they had you horseback riding, they had you, they they had you skiing. You were playing piano and yeah. violin, I think. <laughs> piano, yeah, piano. No, Played no, piano. No. My sister rode horses. I was more into sports. I tried everything from dance to gymnastics to soccer to skiing, and that is just, um, yeah. I'm, I'm so grateful that I had this huge childhood of, of uh, opportunity that yeah. you know, a lot of people don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder, I have this, I've been to Reno to go to Lake Tahoe to ski. And I, I think people might have an idea that it's like a little mini Vegas, but it's not really like that. It's more like a big Banff to to my eyes, like a big kind of uh, ski town. I think it's a ski town for sure. It used to not be that way. It was used to be more of a, um, just a small town that, um, 
was the industry of course was the casinos a little bit yeah. but we had the mining nevada you know, was a really mm. strong there's a really mining history of nevada um um and i think this the, the reno really wasn't that big of a town um but then the skiing got a little bit more it did become a ski town and a more outdoorsy place a more of a place for people to um, go instead of colorado mm. or instead of um jackson people are moving to reno to live there in ski tahoe so um, I think it did change quite a lot in the last, oh gosh, last 10, 20 years, but okay. um, yeah, I would say it's definitely a ski town because it's got <laughs> some of the best ski resorts right there, right? Yeah. Within an hour's drive. Did yeah. you ever do um, Tim Miller's retreat? He always did a retreat in yeah. Lake Tahoe, I think, right? Yeah, I, I never did his Lake Tahoe one, but I did get to practice with him um, when in, in Bishop when he'd come oh, cool. There yeah. were students of there students of his that lived in Bishop Mammoth Lakes area, and so mm -hmm. I'd study with them, and they knew Tim. But that was when I was just a yeah. super beginner too. So um, yeah. the the Tulum I, retreat is the one I where I met him at. Yeah. Oh, in Mexico. Yeah. You you have to forgive me. I really like to keep a more linear narrative, <laughs> and harmony isn't really for I like to linear jump everywhere. <laughs> narrative. So I'm just going to try and bring you back uh in so you have can you describe just how intense of an athlete at skiing you were because I, I i i think you had a couple knee surgeries and you were uh -huh. really like you were really were you ranked competitively yeah in high I, mean, school? I, I didn't ski for the high school as there was a rule you couldn't ski like club skiing you know like private skiing and ski race for the local high school so I chose to ski uh, like for what would be like the U.S. Um, ski Association. We call that USAA. It's like this. So and then that kind of sent you into the FIS, the Federation to ski. So I was skiing at the FIS level, FIS level. Um, and I went to all those things like junior <clears throat> nationals and all that. And so I, I skied up until, yeah, I just had a couple bad, bad crashes. I was, get, I was getting out from school early. That's where my dad was pretty incredible. Both my parents supported me skiing, but my dad would drive me up to Tahoe to ski. And then I remember being at like 14, 15, being like, when are you going to get your car? And then finally I would drive <laughs> myself at 16 and go skiing, yeah. you know, leave, leave school at one and be yeah. on the hill by one forty-five too. So I think wow. um, it definitely affected like my learning in school as well. I remember being a little bit behind in some things and having to get a little bit of help because the skiing was always just this most important thing. But mm -hmm. then I moved to Tahoe one year, my junior year of high school and lived with a family in Truckee. And it was only just an hour, half an hour away, but it was enough that I could just take off that travel time. Yeah. And I went mm -hmm. to Squaw Valley Academy for a year. And that's yeah. when I kind of just went downhill. I just got a little bit burnt, a little bit too burned out. And that's what I got. Literally, <laughs> literally, literally downhill at Squaw Valley. Yes. Yeah. Oh, this no. was just too much for me. I think um, maybe if, I think if I hadn't done that living with a family, if I just stayed with my parents and, and uh, I was so together, I was so driven. I was so sure of myself and really I was just a kid and I needed a little bit more support, like getting yeah. dinner on the table. And I needed right. a little bit more emotional support, which they were there to give. I just was so driven that i didn't really want to have it right yeah. so. oh. wow and so wow. you were kind of burned out from skiing when you found that yoga for women book 
Yeah, you're right on. So it was Truckee, mm. California. I was 17 years old. I was strolled into this bookshop and there was this little book that had a someone sitting, you know, just the image of, of the body with the colors down the center, just the chakra colors. And I was like, right. what is that? I've never seen anything like that before. I picked it up, read it cover to cover. And I started doing yoga from a book, really. And then yeah. I kind of just started stretching, following the exercises, breathing. And then I found a teacher about a year later when I went moved back in with my parents, my senior mm -hmm. year of high school, I'd quit ski racing. And that's when I kind of went back to normal high school. Like people started seeing me all the time. Like um, yeah. I was just back and I joined the clubs and I met, got connected with my, my high school friends. And um, my class was, I was close with my class in my high school, but I was closer with the class above me um, more, I think. So they had already graduated. And so I, I was a little bit of a loner that year. And that's actually good. Cause I just kind of healed my knees and got into yoga, did some, got into rock climbing um, I still was doing sports, but it was more like I was just swimming and just taking care of right. myself, kayaking, yeah. doing all sorts of outdoor stuff, really. Your For mom fun. driving a, a VW bug and your dad going to school at Berkeley, I would have thought that maybe they had some experience with this kind of stuff. Like they had maybe done done a, you know, a random yoga kundalini class somewhere they in might San Francisco. have you know they might have but I don't think they were like gonna talk to me about it at the time they're just <laughs> like what whatever you're doing just keep at it. it's working you're doing good I you know I think yeah. later my mom said she did do some yoga in the 70s when she was in California but it was never she's like nah it was not very not not like that or you know okay. yeah. but it was just okay. hot to yoga I never you know I, it was just very basic yoga but but the but the most important about about that yoga was just like learning how to be still and watching and the basic stuff, sitting, watching your breath. Yeah. Do you think that you take after one of your parents? I'm sorry, Harmony. I've got a whole question he list here. loves going into like the parents so much. I do because it's really teaching. I wonder because <laughs> so the cool, legal, though. you know, your mom being um, a teacher and your dad being in the, uh, a lawyer, I, there's so much, um, there's so much study there. There's so much, like, you know, interpretation of texts. And I wonder if like, if one of them you take after more than the other. I don't know. I think, I think, I think like my, 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 I have one sister. She lives in Hawaii actually. Um, oh, wow. And she's more of the speaker, the orator, like mm -hmm. she's the one that, you know, if you have an argument, she'll, she'll go for it. Whereas I'm, I'm like more willing to sit and chat, maybe have a discussion, <laughs> more, a little bit more like my mom, maybe um, teaching, I, I always wanted to, I never really thought of myself as a teacher, but look, I'm in, and I'm a teacher. Mm -hmm. So I think like, I think I was probably always a little bit, a little bit like my mom, but um, in terms of um, personality, I, th I probably have a little bit of both of them. Yeah. Oh. Maybe. Oh. Yeah. Did you have, did you have knee surgery when you were young? Yeah. So I had reconstructive okay. ACL surgery. Um, uh that year and they took my hamstring and grafted it into my ACL and, <laughs> you know they take a little slither and you, you know so you're only 17 18 so you, I recovered in like I don't know four months or something yeah that's amazing and, <laughs> amazing and so that surgery that 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 happened it was like you know 1994 or five I can't remember the exact number but that that surgery I had later had a scope on it about uh, in 2010 I had someone go mm -hmm. in and have a look at it and they said, oh, that ACL, that thing is just there forever. It's so good. So well done. So I've never had any troubles with my knees, but I've definitely right. keep a close watch on them. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
So here you are now, you're 17, 18, and you're thinking about going to school. Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do in university and what you wanted to do there? That's a great question. I I really just wanted to be a park ranger and live in Yosemite and be in the hills. So (laughs) I applied for school at University of Oregon. I went to school there. I spent my summers. I'm a duck. I went to summers. (laughs) Yes. I went to summers. I got the summer job working in Yosemite National Park. And I show up there after my freshman year of university college. And I show up in Tuolumne Meadows with the dream job. I'm the entrance fee collector in Tuolumne Meadows. And Ah. it was just incredible. I did that all four years and I just learned how to climb. Um, And I, I got just thrown into the fire. Honestly, I just wanted to be literally you were thrown (laughs) into the fire. Like I was like living with like the greatest climbers in the world. And I was a total beginner. And I just kind of rocked up into um, the, the motherland. It's like, it would be like showing up to India, never doing yoga before. It's like, I just show up in the heart of it. Yeah. People did that. (laughs) Yeah. But you were also thrown into like the literal, like you became what you became a hot shotter. Yeah. So that's people were throwing you into the fire. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this outdoor, this outdoor thing, uh, my pursuit of becoming a park ranger, I studied environmental studies and science. And then I had this little, um, I just was always wanting to be in the park. And so what happened, and this is very interesting is in 1999, you might've heard about it, but in, um, in Merced, there was a local guy who worked at Cedar Lodge, um, a, a, a Yosemite, employee he killed he murdered a park ranger and some tourists a woman and her daughter and an argentinian exchange student and this all happened when i was in the park and it just was at this pivotal time as the end of my last year at university i was entering this like i don't know i feel like i was just this um filled with emotion filled with drive and I, i just got crushed like oh my god like all these people i know were killed this guy wow. was local. He said, drive through the gate of Tuolumne Meadows. I knew this guy. Um, and then I just said, I'm going to leave the park for a while. So I left mm. Yosemite and I spent a year kind of just climbing on the road, doing a lot of climbing all the time, doing some yoga on the side, but mostly just climbing seriously. And then a friend of mine I met at the in Chamonix, I met this friend of mine at the bar and he's like, you know, do you want to get a job hot shotting? And I was like, what? Because my degree was in environmental studies. I already had all this background working for the park service to get a job in the forest service or the BLM when that's the kind of the umbrella for hotshot crews um, or fire service crews. I would have been, I've been, I'd be on a good shape because I already have a forestry type degree. Um, and he's like, I'll get you a job. And I said, that's okay. Never done fire before in my life. Took a month long course and I walked on to a hotshot crew. What is and- that? Why do they call it hotshot? Ah, so there's 20 <laughs> eight, 18 or 20 people on the crew they live together they um they work together they train together and they call them we split, split them up into like three squads or three groups yeah. and hot shots are kind of a cool group of elite firefighters wildland firefighters that when a fire hits a mountain and it um we, we try to initial attack it get it right away through um maybe they send some smoke jumpers on it Maybe there's a helicopter crew, but if it's a roadless area with no roads, they're likely to air attack it. And if, if they can get a, ro- a drive in, hot shots will initial attack it. They'll try to get the fire 
contain the fire, either through mm -hmm. backburning, through control line, through doing lots of different tactics. But most cases, hotshots work by doing not necessarily initial attack, but getting the fires that run away. So let's uh, mm. say the smoke jumpers lose it, the helicopters didn't get it, and it's gone like, you know, a thousand acres. Well, they might call in um, hotshot crews. They're probably about, I don't know anymore, maybe there's between 60 and 70 hotshot crews right now in the country. They'll mm -hmm. call like four or five crews in and they'll all work together like a swarm and get the fire. And they call that kind of extended attack. And so a hotshot crew might be on a fire for two weeks, three weeks, but you'd be gone. You'd be just be on the road anywhere in the country that they need you. Could be Alaska, could be Arizona. I fought fire in my wow. hotshot crew all over the country and they just drive you or fly you there and you're there living on the dirt. And then you're like camping and just like camping. hanging out yeah. in the forest. Camping. Yeah. Fighting camping. fires. Fighting and fires. I just, wow. I just love being outside. I love the crew. I love the people. I just love the tactics. I love the military. Um, training I received at first I was kind yeah. of um a scared and a bit like oh that's kind of uh, a bit much but I I loved how if there was a trouble or conflict with working with those guys they either brought it direct and sorted it out right there or they stepped outside there was no like <laughs> chat or she said yeah. or he said it was like I just love that and that mentality of like go direct be honest um do it the right way, the first time best, mm -hmm. um, have the greatest line you can make. These were part of the ethics of my specific hotshot crew. The crew boss I has this guy named Tom Bates. He's in McCall, Idaho. You know, he, he was just so specific about this etiquette of life of being so clean. Mm. If you weren't 10 minutes early, you were late. Um, yeah. This kind of, this etiquette, I think, feel like at the time I needed that kind of sharpness to kind of mm. clean me up a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I did that for a few years and then the, the progression was to become a smoke jumper where you jump out of airplanes and do initial attack. I went skydiving once and just said, no way. I like yoga too much. Like <laughs> oh I'm not doing it. Yeah. Were your parents just yeah. absolutely terrified? Mortified. At this point? My, my mom went to therapy. Yeah. She just thought I was like yeah. going to die, you know, because oh people were, she, crews were still getting burned over. I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, I'll talk about that not, not so lightly, but firefighting is very dangerous now it's even more dangerous than it was 20 years ago but those hotshot crews are really have themselves in a dangerous position and what is being burned over me yeah. that sounds terrible uh, that's like a, a serious accident where the fire the hotshot crew they might have had um a blow up of the fire like just taking over you know fires will make its own weather so you you might be watching the weather and controlling it but if the what if it if all of a sudden the fire makes its own cloud it'll fall over and just change direction or mm. it'll spit fire and create fires away from it. But lots of things can happen. If you're, if you make a, you, you could, have, you could have a, like a technical mistake and people could die. There'd be a tragedy, or it could just be that the fire went absolutely berserk so fast that they didn't, couldn't get to their safety zones quick enough. Right. So it's not that common, but being burned over would be like, yeah, the fire going into the control area or the area that was supposedly safe, a safety zone, and then killing crew people. And you've, you've experienced that where you have not any burnover, but yeah. Yeah. Experienced the, the experience of what it's like to lose people. I knew or friend of a friend that passed away and I'd just yeah. be that close to it going, this is just really, really rough work. 
Um, But it's also safe in the sense that I know lots of firemen still that are loving their job and they're, they, a lot of the tactics have changed too, you know, like you wouldn't dig line downhill. Um, (laughs) They're less likely to to put people in uh, dangerous positions and let the fire go instead of risk harming others. Right. Yeah. my my granddad was a um, fire chief in Pontiac, Michigan. His whole career. It's, I'm I'm just, I'm just totally fascinated by the this line of of conversation because I'm, you know, at some point I'm still hoping that I'll grow up and become a fireman. You, know? <laughs> you can yeah. do it, Russell. You can <laughs> be a fireman. I'm yeah. I'd, I'd have to probably pass a basic training, but um, yeah. I don't know if that's. Possible. I just keep thinking of backdrop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Backtracks. Hold the line. That's a, that's a different. You go, we go. Different from hot shotting, I think. It's just, it's just. I think those experiences, like like these experiences of the, being outside from Yosemite to like I, those years of just, they were like seven years there where all I was was just outside. It, it really incredible. shaped me who I was because it was like they were they were h- hardcore. Like the pack yeah. was seventy pound pack. We're carrying a Pulaski. You know, we would do, I would do like 25 pull-ups with my boots on each boot yeah, weighs yeah, like yeah. each boot weighs like eight pounds. Like I was such a tough, I looked like a brick shit house. I was just, yeah. Like, and what's your name? Laura from uh, Linda Hamilton from Terminator. That's yeah. what I'm imagining. Yeah. yeah I can yeah, totally yeah. see it. But bigger, but bigger. Cause she'd have to have like more, just uh, more weight, just a little more weight to commit, to do like the 30 hour shift or. You know, where yeah. you're eating an MRE, you know, as a military yeah, yeah. ready to ration. eat ration. Yeah, and yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. it's just, it's horrible food, but you don't really care. That's what you get to eat for a while. Yeah. Maybe wow. I'm of um, alien aliens that, uh, that lady. Sigourney Weaver? No, the other one. Oh, the other one, the one that gets killed. She got killed. I know yeah. the one. I mean, everybody but gets I mean, killed. I, I just wasn't <laughs> that tough. I mean, after the few years of that, I just wasn't that tough. I was like, ah, this is enough. It's so draining on your even with six months on and six months off on those six months off, I would just practice like, you know, you were so even much. practicing at the camps. You were doing a little bit of yoga. Yeah. Before so I would going just roll out my night. mat and I would do, you know, John, you a try to four bend, maybe do a Mary Chastain, get a bind. I kind of have my eyes half shut. So quiet. It's so tired. And maybe Ustrasana and I'd lay to bed and lay down. And then when you were off, what did you do? So you're working six months on and then six months off. What did you do? So during the fire season, we would have three, two or three weeks on the road. And that's like, that was those practices. And then when I could get two days off and I would do primary in the morning and intermediate in the afternoon, (laughs) and I would just do that two days. And then six months off when I wasn't firefighting, I would just practice just like, just like anybody would that has no kids or no (laughs) obligations or no jobs i'd practice for two three hours every morning you know mm-hmm. you know when you have that luxury you're or you're or you're traveling when you just throw yeah. your mat out and you don't stop until you're done you know yeah mm-hmm. and did you travel did you go meet teachers at this point yeah so that's what i would do i would i would go meet teachers i would spend a week with someone i'd spend a month with someone i would just i just kind of built my skill set on when i wasn't working mm-hmm. and then when they they'd give me poses and then i'd see them a year later yeah. I was always a self-practitioner that just was this, had this firefighting job and saw a teacher once in a while. And, and I'd see them, they'd be like, Oh God, here, take, do this. You know, they'd give me a lot because I <laughs> yeah. wouldn't see them for a year, you know, 
Yeah. Right, right. And is that um, when you met David Griggs and yeah. Dina? Yeah, I didn't meet Dina until 2012, much okay. later in my yoga yeah. world. Like yeah. she's she's honestly like my my last teacher, if you want to talk it like that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I I sought her out, and all, and we can get to that. But yeah, yeah, she was someone. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask, I because I thought you were doing Ashtanga yoga all through university, yeah. which is before your hot shotting period. So I just wanted to get yeah. a little bit more background on on your your origin story because you strike yeah. me as a kind of a, a superhero. <laughs> Well, you're very nice. I don't, you're very sweet, but my it was all these people that just happened to be at the right place. You know, like I said, I was living in Yosemite in the summers. There was university in Oregon. I had like there was so much yoga going on in Oregon, but there wasn't. I mean, there might have been a Mysore program in Eugene where I was going to school, oh, yeah. but I was just taking some lead classes and then doing on my own. And then I would go summers. I would be around all these people that were doing practicing in the meadows i'd follow them so i was definitely doing ashtanga but it was definitely from like the sheet the book watching right. others getting a lead class when i could but it was about 2002 so it had been just 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 about after just around after just before i started hot shotting just after university that's when i started meeting like serious teachers like right. i wintered in bozeman montana and ran into randa chehab and Randa had this uh, yoga studio, Down to Earth Yoga in Bozeman. And I was just a ski bum. And that's when I really learned, really, I think, classic Mysore practice. It was 2002. And I was with Randa. And she introduced me to Christine Hoare, Nancy Gilgoff. Right. And they're the ones that just held my hand through all those years. And then when mm -hmm. I met David Garig, it was like, he really was like, like, you know, kind of just <laughs> cleaning it up. He, yeah, he was definitely, he's just different teacher than those yeah. guys. So mm -hmm. um, it was a whole different, um, I, I felt like I had such a nice group to serve, mm -hmm. to not serve, that sounds funny, to, to carry me. You know, if I needed my females and I needed to ask Christine a question, I could call her up or go to Vermont and see her. Or yeah. if I wanted to see Randa and I was going to go skiing, I'd show up in Bozeman. And then, then David was, you know, he was traveling. So I, I could invite him to come see me or I could um there was a nomad it was a really nomadic practice there for me for a while yeah. for sure one of the things that you mentioned about those teachers dina and, and david is uh especially is that you said they they felt and resonated so much like your early teachers in that they were heart-centered and that they that you felt uh held and i, I thought that was really beautifully put did I have that uh, right? Yeah, thank you. Um, I think I think like like when you're young and early and new to the practice and particularly young, like mm -hmm. you know, I'm in my 20s, um, not particularly flexible, definitely strong, but like, you know, I couldn't do Mary Chasana D for like four years. Wow. Nor could I do Padmasana for four years. Mm -hmm. So those those female teachers like Nancy and Christine and Randa would just, you know, they just kind of let me plug along and teach me how to backbend and, you know, be like, okay, someday, you know, try to grab me, try to crank me in. You know, I just was so stiff. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of care, I, I, like, I laugh, I'm like, oh my God, that kind of care of like, look at this young kid. Mm -hmm. So, so stiff, so strong, but are so stiff, but so strong, but like, we're not going to push her because she could just quit. So they just kind of let me alone and gave me that like space to see them and 
seek yoga out rather than pushing it on me. And, mm-hmm. and then yeah. when I met David later, he was like, oh yeah, he did the same thing. He kind of saw that, well, she's, she's so capable or he saw that she's so keen. We'll just take this slow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So would ah. you say like the women were much more like they kind of let you, you know, I know Nancy's style of teaching and is yeah. more just like, you know, go do it. If you can't do a posture, don't worry about it. Do the next one. Like they were just like letting you kind of play and enjoy the practice. And then when you met David, he was a little bit more, I'm going to say strict, um, <laughs> but just like, m- yeah, like wanting to make yeah. it more precise and like maybe holding you out of posture so that just, you can like explore me, it more giving me like you need to stay there and work here you know yeah. mm-hmm. I, never, yeah. I never got I never got that opportunity to be like go blow you know go do the go do a whole series it was like you know I was stuck at primary series for those four years and that was that was a wonderful opportunity mm-hmm. to just be where I needed to be and work work at Mary Chasna D Mm-hmm. I tell my students that now I'm like, this took me four years. You guys just chill out. Just, just, and just stay right here. Whereas yeah. yeah. So David was more like, okay, let's, let's get you strong and work more intelligently in the areas that you are, are held back at. Why, yeah. you know, what's going on? Let's work on some more hip stuff. Let's work on. Yeah. But your yeah. hips were so strong because you were carrying a 70 pound pack and like hiking, that, and- that <laughs> but they weren't open. They didn't want to do and skiing. Yeah. and skiing your whole life. You yeah. know, I mean, they you, didn't want to need... bend, you know, no, no they're, they're, that's why they're strong. Cause they're like supporting they're, all that. <laughs> they're trying to protect you. In that way. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> stop. They're like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, we, I always tell students to like, especially skiers, they always have the, you know, tight hips. But when you say like, look at all the years you skied, right? Like it took you whatever, 17 years, maybe not 17 years, but you know, 15 years of skiing where you're mm-hmm. like developing those muscles to do a very specific action. And now you want them to relax and lengthen and do yeah. something that's totally opposed to that action. It's mm-hmm. going to take a little time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got it. I mean, and to go, and I think that, that that's David, but I didn't meet Dina for a long time. Right. And mm-hmm. when I did meet mm-hmm. Dina, she didn't give me a pose, didn't move me on for three and a half years, mm-hmm. meaning she just was there to just hold me and let me refine and, mm-hmm. um, and that was just lovely to have that kind of, I kept going back kept going back. And she's like, you again, you know, like, um, she, yeah. not saying she was resistant, definitely not resistant to teach me, but as we all know, like she's definitely choosy who she wants to teach. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I adore her. She has a particular kind of energy that would, that I would appreciate working with because it's, it's so much about uh, holding someone accountable to their self-limiting ideas. And mm. I really, really liked, liked that. It was fucking frightening, <laughs> but the, I kind of felt like I needed all that as well. And I could see yeah. how being with her would be transformative. In a, in, if I could get, if I could put together a, a big block of time, that would be nice. Yeah. Like she's, 10 years. She's the long term. I mean, that's exactly yeah. like, or even thought, three months in a row would be great. Three months <laughs> in a row. She because she, you know, and I I I had had this all this all this experience with David many years now with David. And I was like, I really want to meet Dina because she'll compliment him. I know 
I'm working mm-hmm. on advanced series. I need, I kind of need a female to balance out what he's mm-hmm. teaching me. Like I, so it's so intense. It's so physical. And I want someone to kind of, kind of, kind of calm me down. Not that way. Dina no. was way more strict than David. Yeah. <laughs> so I was 100%. like, oh gosh, it's just the, their, their tools, their toolkit and their, their, their delivery of the practice is so similar in a lot of ways, but like, you know, he's going to tell you something and she's going to sing to you. Yet she might give you a couple <laughs> beats while she, she sings. Is to you. So, sing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. And she will sing. literally sing to you. She will literally <laughs> sing, sing to you. you. I, which is delightful. If I could just um if I could just kind of nail down where you are in space, it's you're you're firefighting, you're hot shotting, and then you're kind of, I think, burning out. Pardon the expression. <laughs> totally. And can you describe to us how you got from there to Philadelphia? I can't imagine a more a, a more different environment for you to live and be in. And I yeah, think you, you'd be a fish out of water. I was just and you, forgive you the just, expression. You just nailed the, the, the nailed it nailed it on the head. So I quit potshotting and I moved to Boise, Idaho, where NIFSI is a national interagency national interagency fire center is because my girlfriend, my best friend, who I lived with in the in a house there, Jenny Jenny Camp, now Jenny Baumgartner, she and I lived together. Well, she went to go jump, so she pursued her fire career to smoke jump at the Boise Center. I said, well, I'll live hmm. with Jenny. I'll, I'll be there with her while she jumps and I'll help her. Um, the, the joke on the street was that, you know, we were this married couple and we, we were really, I joke around like my wife of like a few years, cause we lived together for a few years in Boise and we took care of each other. And that's when I started teaching at the public schools. I just started teaching part-time. I started substitute mm-hmm. teaching and teaching yoga on the side. Yeah. So I did, okay, enough. I'm just going to teach yoga and I'm just going to, but I can't, we can't just teach yoga. And I can't firefight anymore. I'm, I can't work in the interagency fire center. I, I think I need to leave that, that, that wild land, that natural world away for a while. Um, and so I worked in the public schools while I taught yoga. And then I had a shawl. I opened up a little school at, in oh. Boise, um, a nice little yoga program, a little Mysore program. And it just, it was 2008, nine, 10. It was a tough time to have a yoga school. It was just a recession and, mm-hmm. um, and I just, I knew the time was to leave Boise around 2010. So I, I wrote to, to, to Nancy and Christine and Randa and David, all of my, I hadn't met Dina yet. Right. So I wrote mm. to all my yoga community, my like gurus and said, what am I going to do? I need, I need to do something else. I'm ready to go. And then David wrote me right away and said, you come to Philadelphia and help me open up this school. Uh, okay. And he was leaving, transitioning from leaving Seattle and mm-hmm. moving with his, his long-term current partner, Joy right. Marzik. And they moved yeah. to Philly and I moved with them. And so wow, it okay. was insane. I just, <laughs> I dog walked on the side. I walked didn't, dogs. Didn't join I, the fire department. No, no, no. <laughs> I just found another side job and did the same thing I always did. Just side job and taught yoga and practiced with David and helped him run his Mysore program when he was away. And then and the rest is history. From there, I went to Scotland. My uh, so, my cousins live in East Philly, up by the racetrack. And hey, cool! It's a tough <laughs> yeah. fucking town, and I can't imagine. Also, like ideologically, coming out from Oregon to Philly is also tough. Like just the kind of 
people that you that you meet. I think my my cousin was a white supremacist at one point. You know, it's like <laughs> oh really, God. really fucking tough town. As different as yeah. Calgary is from San Francisco, to be honest. I mean, we're talking like 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 Boise, Idaho. Eugene, Oregon is Boise, Idaho is like we're talking like Idaho in general is just you know out of the it's the it's the wildest state other than Alaska in the sense yeah, that yeah. it's got more wilderness areas, more people move there for a reason to hide mm-hmm. or be alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you want to be in Idaho, you want to be in Idaho, go to Idaho. Not saying the whole Idaho is like that. because I've got many friends that live in Boise and Boise is progressive as is Sun Valley, Ketchum, Haley area. But most of the Idaho is, is pretty, pretty sketchy. So I moved to Philly and I'm like, oh man, I, and then those yoga students of David's, they kind of carried me around, ushered me, let me stay with them for a while until I found a place I got this dog walking job, which allowed me to kind of go all over the city on my bike and walk different dogs. Wow. And so I got to see the city from a very, like a very, very on the street perspective. So I wasn't like in an office. I was just walking around outside all day long with dogs. And so I wow. saw every type of person. I saw like the South Philly crowd. I saw North Philly. I saw all sorts of different areas. And uh, that was awesome because I ate my way through the city. I would just buy food and eat. <laughs> And foodie and Philly's like anything I get my hands on. And basically Philly's a food place. Like no one really knows that about Philly, but it's all about the food. Wow. My cousins was just about beating up minorities. So that's that's (laughs) very different from what I've heard. No, it was a really good, really good food culture there. So that I just that that fueled me because I mean I was no way I was gonna do all of third series, walk dogs, adjust, and sustain. I was like, I was just loved it it was great and then yeah wow you at this point in, in you must be working on advanced a and b right and you kind of like did that practice for 10 years very yeah, intensely roughly. yeah roughly yeah? about that yeah that's an intense amount of work to do every day yeah i think it was just i have the energy i mean look at my i think that's your constitution and we all gotta see that as yoga teachers mm. it's like some people have this like this energy and i've always had that like even from my kid my childhood just this and so even even when the yoga is like all right stop and sit down and be still and learn how to chant and learn how to do meditation it was like i always had stuff to burn mm-hmm. so for me those big practices were just toking my fire that was already lit um but that's a big difference to go from not being able to bind Asana c to then going doing these massive back bends and massive forward bends and advanced it B <laughs> and psychotic uh, like behind think, the head yeah <laughs> like behind the back psychotic psychotic, psychotic. and like and, then, and how is that possible how's that possible yeah. a lot of it a lot of it's the care I received from David and Dina just getting put in it put in it put in it um, and then taking a break with babies I think that's yeah. really really valuable that, I mean, we can talk about that next, but I feel yeah. like having a whole break, if, mm. if you're a serious practitioner, you, when you want to, no one wants to take nine months off, no. but taking nine months off is great. You just reset, go back to zero. And that mm. I think is the longevity part of, oh, I feel blessed about the practice. Cause it's like those breaks, I was still practicing every day, but it wasn't like anything advanced or no it's just hatha yoga but gosh coming out the other side you get so you're stronger i'm Mm. back at zero right now which and i am in a reset i am i'm in a lot less pain (laughs) 
I'm, I, I don't do much, you know, I kind of roll around in there a little bit for about, but, but it is nice not being in pain all the time. And I, I feel like that's really a huge maturity. Like we all do that. I, I mean, this year, uh, my emotional ability and whatever's going, everything that was going on in my life in January, I just took a huge reset. It was like, it might be time again. I just had Calvin three years ago. So Calvin, I took a big break for Calvin, but I didn't take enough break after his birth. I only took a, you know, two and a half month break, mm-hmm. which I've with, with Dashiel, my first baby, I took a full three months off post baby. I think that's just minimum it needs to be three months, but you want to get on that mat so bad. <laughs> You've had yeah. that baby. You want to get back up. So I feel do you like think my... there should be set rules about that kind of stuff? <laughs> I do. Or... And Nancy, Nancy and Christine horror, Nancy Gilgoff, Christine horror said, you have to take three months post baby. And they told me that. And I went, Oh, are you sure? Um, <sighs> and I think it's your pelvic floor. It's your lining of your, of your abdomen. Mm-hmm. And I know as hungry as you could be, you can sit in Padmasana, you can do down dog and mm-hmm. that's probably about it, but like much more, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't want my students to come back. I'll say, I'll see you in three months, have your baby <laughs> after three months, come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you find it difficult to come back after a break for three months? <sighs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's hard. laughs> I mean, like, like learning how to lift yourself up. There's no bandas. There's nothing. Yeah. You can't push mm-hmm. the ground. You're kind of, you're kind of, I like to call it kind of, you're kind of, you're kind of squishy. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you're just squishy. Like you're, you're squishy. You just had a baby. You're full of boobs. There's, there's milk yeah. everywhere. You're full. Uh, you're, you're bleeding. Yeah. You're, you're messy. You're wet. You're yeah. wet. And you're like, why am I sweating all the time? Cause you're just, <laughs> you're like, oh, you're like a, a plump fruit. It's just yeah. oozing. <laughs> yeah. You're oozing. And so then you're like, oh, I'm going to do a hard practice. Doesn't work. It's like really yeah. hard. But yeah. you start, you start, you start, you start, you mm-hmm. start. Mm-hmm. What was what was the pace of development from day one to day 300? Just like namaskaras, just like 5A, 7B, some standing back to namaskaras. Okay, mm-hmm. John, you a repeat, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we'd just do a lot of that, and then the next day I would start it, all that, all that, start at John, you b, mm-hmm. and then so just like instead of thinking I'd do a whole series, do a part of a series one day, and then the next day start on the posture you didn't do. Mm-hmm. So if you made it yeah. to Mary Chasna B, the next day you start at C, and you're like, whoa, I'm at C. Oh <laughs> well, so you'd, you'd skip to C and start there and move. Yeah, just because to, okay. to get through a series because of time and mm-hmm. and and energy and instead of following too many rules, just still stick to a series. Mm-hmm. Don't bounce back and forth. Still keep it as rule oriented as you can, but be more gracious mm-hmm. with yourself because you don't have the time or you're full or you're yeah yeah. That's an interesting. That's kind of an interesting approach because I think a lot of people when they're like building their practice back. You know, if you only have a half hour, say every day, if you're a new mom, I mean, (laughs) you don't have that much time, you know, you kind of get stuck just doing like sun salutations and then maybe some standing and like, maybe you don't even have time to get into the seated postures, or maybe you don't even have time to reach back bends, you know, or 
closing yeah. or whatever. Right. So it's sort of an interesting approach to like, just do like one or two seated postures. And then the next day, you know, pick it up from there and do like the next two. And then the mm. next day, do the next two. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah. I, I, don't think I, would I wouldn't teach, I wouldn't teach, you know, someone that way, like, right. Who's coming mm -hmm. to my store every day, but gosh, if they're, if they're a new mom, you got it. And we have to, we just have to cheap, keep modifying, put a practical, yeah. a practical umbrella on the practice because I wouldn't have gotten anywhere, you know, I would just be stuck because like you said, we've been standing. Yeah. Or an old mom that's super busy. <laughs> yeah, I'm an old mom that's super busy. Exactly. I mean, I'm, 40, right? I'm 44. I'm like, I'm 44 yeah. running after a three-year-old and a eight-year-old. And I'm like, I'm, there's a reason why they gave me two boys. Like, because <laughs> you have all the energy. All yeah. the energy. Yeah. There's like, yep, here you go. It's they two. call them uh, in in education. They call them mobs, <laughs> and mobs are a special breed at schools because they have a they have a spe they have a very different understanding and relationship to the school than the other moms. <laughs> Mama boys. Moms of boys. <laughs> you they say you just have to run the boys like run. dogs. And if you don't run them like dogs, you're going to get behavioral issues, just like with dogs. I mean, they have to have jobs. They have to have, I mean, not like and my kids jobs, are really good yeah. kids, but like they, they need to do stuff throughout the day, yeah. jobs and activities. And yeah, not that I'm, a, I'm going crazy, but, um, no, I, they I love it. They love it though. They thrive yeah. when they're given a job to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's true. And without it, they will become I entitled mean, yeah no or get into trouble like they'll Same find things thing. to do yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and i think you you know you you have a boy, your son right yeah. i mean like i think there's yeah. this really fine line of i don't know their mine are still so little that they want to be with me a lot so i'm like well if you're going to be with me a lot i'll let's go do cool stuff yeah because, yeah like emptying great. the dishwasher that's cool stuff <laughs> 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 very true yeah, no, it's yeah. it's great though. It's so good. I mean that you that you yourself were so active and like love sports and love nature and I'm sure still do mm -hmm. and can like instill all of that life, you know, into your kids mm -hmm. too. And yeah. and they're gonna develop all of that excitement for nature. And I think it's the language we use too. I'm like, if they fall over, I'm like, that's it, get up, you're fine. Yeah, mm -hmm. you get. And then yeah. it's like, okay, well, let's try this. Well, that didn't work. So let's try it again. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't think there's this, um, you know, that's the thing I want them to know is that I want them to feel as powered and powered as they can and as comfortable enough as they can to ask questions and then know yeah. when it's enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always parented that way too. And Jediah, when he was young, he loved climbing. I mean, he still loves climbing. He really is into parkour and like, you know, dangerous things. But he, yeah. he would like climb up, you know, they have the monkey bars. He would climb up to like be on top of the monkey bars. Yeah. And uh, You're supposed to hang from them. But yeah. But climb on top of them. He loves yeah. getting on top of it, like mm -hmm. to the highest point, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, it was so funny because uh, my cousin's a very different type of parent. She has two boys than I was <laughs> and she's Ooh. like ah, like would always be so worried and so freaked out and so her boys never did anything very risky whereas I was like you know I'd be spotting <laughs> but yeah but also I kind of let him do it mm -hmm. just to like yeah. and he's he's really not afraid of you know much you know he's that's just why because you let him confident. do it yeah. yeah yeah I was like don't don't fall <laughs> it's gonna hurt 
you know. Can, can you talk at all? You, you talked about this extensively in in what you sent to us. Um, how you you juggle all the responsibilities mm. of being a mom, being a dedicated yoga practitioner, full time teacher. How do you fit everything in? Because you have your own school right now in Dublin, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm teaching out of a out of a established like. Uh, Yangar Hatha Yoga program where they have vinyasa classes. And of course, as we know, there's nothing that goes on in the morning. So we're out of there by yeah. nine. It's brilliant. Well, it's a really pretty space called uh, Little Bird Yoga and Coffee. So I, I just have the, I kind of just try to stick on the same routine as much as possible. Routines are how we make it. Like, it's like get out of the routine and it's like, oh no, there's a, but the routines really, really give you that, that, um, say, it gives you the, the ability to have energy or time to, to rest. So mm -hmm. I just try to get up at the same time every day. I try to eat the same types of food throughout the day. Um, try to get up at, you know, about not too, not too late, but not too early. Like I can't really do a practice too early in the morning anymore. It's just, I'm not, I'm not up for it. So I, I get up about quarter to five. I'm on my mat by five thirty-six, And I just try to make that morning routine not so slow. Like I try to not look at my phone too much. I try to get in the car or get there. Like, mm -hmm. I think that morning, that first half an hour you wake up, it's so easy to just be in this la la land of like, Oh, mm. I'll get to the practice. It's like, <laughs> no, get there right away. And then once you're on the mat, you can daydream if you want, but at least you arrive. And so yeah. I try to get in there at the same time. So I, I changed a little bit this last year mm -hmm. with the demanding of the, of the kids and my life and running the program and all that is I've just practiced one hour mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. has been a big, big change in my lifestyle, like not practicing as long. And that yeah. just gives me a lot more energy to run after them and to manage all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the days I do bigger practices where I, where I can practice the full primary, I do practice bigger series or whatever Sundays and Fridays where I know I don't have as much going on Sundays. Mm -hmm. It's just, that's just my class that day. It's not like I have to I'm so with the kids all day, but I might not, I'm not running around and driving and yeah. taking them. So, so I, I think, I think for me, it's just taking that uh, modification of the practice and making it as potent as possible in the, the, the shortest amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then I try to go to bed like the kids do, you know, you know, eight 39, that's me. I try <laughs> yeah. and I, I'm like all of us, I stay up late. I, I, yeah. I mess. I'm like, oh no! I called my friend at nine. No. Yeah. <laughs> Never call your friends. You, we we also go to bed at the same time as our kid, like around eleven. Eleven. Yeah. Ten thirty. Eleven. 10, we're 10 we're falling asleep same time. Teenagers, yeah. are, they're they're up later, right? They're yeah. Up later. Usually, uh, I'm falling asleep doing that before he does. <laughs> he was staying up that late at seven. I'm like, let's watch another show. He's very time for bed. But also, you know, I'm I'm as far as uh as schedules go i'm very i'm very diff difficult person for keeping a schedule uh-huh <laughs> some yeah. people are great at it and i just i envy them so much but i like for to me, keep to a schedule yeah you're very scheduled for me it's it's so so difficult i manage the minutes and it's so weird day. because like you think mm -hmm. as an ashtanga yoga practitioner most ashtanga yoga practitioners are very like you say very regimented, like they do the same thing and they eat the same thing every single day. For you me, like for my personality, in a day. it's like death doing the same thing every day. 
Well, that's why that's why it's so nice to finally get to the point when you're a practitioner where you do get to get to have a different series you know in the yeah. beginning you're just doing one series forever right you're but like, it's oh, yeah it's so interesting though too because um you know I never really had a teacher I never had a, a outside of my store I never so I've been on my own for so long so just, I mean when I was teaching when I had a program I had to be more scheduled more regimented of course you know I uh, went to bed at the same time and but I feel like after 15 20 years of that it's just like it drives me crazy <laughs> well I mean I think I think too like that little that little hour that students have this brand new program I just started in January I'm pretty yeah. new here in Dublin the students come in 6 30 6 45 and they see me practicing and I yeah that's I nice that's, I think that's so good that they see mm -hmm. like oh there she's doing it and I was like and then before you know maybe in other years I'd be like quiet or austere I'd be like how are you how is your morning? Like, because yeah. it just takes the edge off a bit. And right, um, yeah. totally. I like them to see that it's like, look, this is what we do. You, yeah. you know, you, you, you just come in and take the edge off and enjoy yeah. your practice. And I'll be there when I get done, you know, like, yeah, yeah. That's nice. So when, when I was teaching here in Calgary back in 2008, um, and we were teaching out of a space, I always, uh, I always like to get there and practice in the space before mm -hmm. the students. Cause it kind of like brings that energy it into the space the and that focus. And um, yeah, I think it's, it, it is like you're saying, it's really nice for people to walk into a warm space and, and, and feel like they don't have to be the ones like creating that energy. It's already like there in that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can, can I ask you a question? Uh, about practicing with with your students watching it it, it kind of drove me crazy <laughs> um i try to get in there as early as possible i try to wake up as early as possible so i could be prepared for practice for me the the most difficult thing about the ashtanga yoga practice was getting prepared for the emotional thresholds that i'd have to pass through to accomplish a posture so like it feels a bit like when i wake up in the morning i was going to have to run through a brick wall and so what do i have to do to get myself right emotionally so that i could then do a practice and then you have to do that while people are watching you who are really like really watching you because you're the mm -hmm. teacher in the room do you, does that resonate with you at all? Do, is that something that you've had to prepare yourself for? Oh, I, I think that's like, I think we all kind of think that way when someone's watching you, whether they're yeah. your students or mm -hmm. anybody, you're like, I'm doing my practice. But you know, if once your eyes are on you, you're thinking, okay, well, are they, are they judging me? Or am I doing this right? Or are mm -hmm. they going to learn from me? Or are they going to leave after they see me struggle? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, are they going to see me go, God, that looks horrible. I don't want to do that ever. I don't want to learn from her anymore. <laughs> Or, yeah. you know, what's, what's going to be so, so I think for me, like getting myself on the mat and getting myself practicing every day is like, look, here I go on this journey and let's see how it goes today. Like all of us. But I think if someone, the emotional threshold, like you're talking about, I think gets more, I think it gets easier. The more, the more you um, are a little more open about your practice. If you're like right. that, old, that vulnerability is kind of part mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then and then you're kind of prepared for it more. Um, huh. I don't know. Immersion therapy. <laughs> jump in. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, when 
just like if, if you think of it like kapatasana for example right we're all like oh here we go and your hands start sweating and you go in and mm -hmm. someone's <laughs> watching you and you the breath changes and mm -hmm. huffing you know they're looking at you i mean i think that's that's okay to see that 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 they people see that you you too struggle with mm -hmm. the postures you're supposed to know perfectly yeah and that's okay yeah, my yeah. my students in San Francisco, they they'd say to me, you know how you watch someone practice and they make it look easy, and you think, <laughs> oh, I could do it. They said they would feel exactly the opposite with me. <laughs> like they'd watch me practice, and it's like you really make this look hard. It's like, thanks right. a lot. Yes. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, you're the most uninspiring practitioner I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, you mean right today, I mean, like right I, no, now? I'm just saying that's basically yeah. what they're telling But that's you. Harmony also thinks that. I'm also the least inspiring <laughs> practitioner she's ever been around, obviously, considering how inspired you are to practice. But I think we all were, we all started somewhere. Like, I mean, yeah. like my story, like I was now like graceful, graceful <laughs> practitioner. Like, you know, I'd come in the room, throw my mat down, get stuck in the pose. I didn't smell very i'm just saying like, all, all those etiquettes like you know what i mean all those etiquettes like watch yourself like i remember yeah. teachers whatever my you know just being just like take care of yourself a bit more sarah you know um, <laughs> oh my god like, what do you mean i mean oh I'm saying, my like, god like you're you know you're 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 yeah. if you're like used to being you know you still shower and do all that but your mat cleanliness like all that yeah, yeah. all that's all this that umbrella is... this etiquette it's like all this etiquette oh that a beginner is supposed to know they don't know in the beginning and so you know they don't know that to wash your mat or bring a new rug or wear new clothes or wash yeah. your clothes the night before so, so <laughs> i i think that we the remember to be remembering how you once were before you've probably come a long way russell I remember regularly now. I do remember the day guy came up to me and said, dude, you got to wash your mat. I was like, yeah. oh, I just like died inside. Like, oh, I'm smelly. I was smelly, smelly sticky. Smelly. Or, oh. or all those, all those like new things that you learn that you only learn from like, you know, being in the room. Told. It's so yeah. awkward to have those conversations as a teacher though. Yeah. 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 It, <laughs> I love easy. that. Just take care of yourself a little more. <laughs> you did it was also just yourself. the way I was walking. You know, it was the way I was walking. I remember right. I had that firefighting, like boom, 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 boom. And I remember, right. taking, I remember taking tango classes. And so I danced tango for a while because I was like, I have got to learn how to move smoothly. Oh, wow. So like, even that, all that masculinity, it was like, I need to just really, really learn about how to walk again. And the teacher said, You are walking like a cow. And it was like, <laughs> That's Jesus. what a cow would like, ba boom, ba boom. If you had heavy right. boots, well, it'd be like yeah. you're, so, you're adding learn. diversity to the room, though. I think that's that's helpful. People not get so that's attached to though. a particular way of being. No, I think that's so interesting because you're like quite a petite girl, actually. But it's so like cool to think about how you can really like take on this energy and this like and change your body and change the way that you move yes. in space and occupy space and that you even had that awareness of like wow i've like really gone to this extreme how can i bring myself back to balance oh, yeah and maybe, and maybe i was always that way right I, that that drawn to that like you know whether it was yeah. like firefighting or park ranger work or climbing and skiing and it was like yeah. okay, well, bringing it back down to this more feminine or more 
I don't know, more me, but you know, not knowing that unless yeah. you've always done one thing. I think that's mm -hmm. one of the things that yoga was a, one of those secrets, right? The, of the yeah. yoga practice for me was like kind of, you know, softening, mm -hmm. uh, learning to walk a little quieter, not so heavy. And I yeah. think that's kind of the, one of the things about taking care of yourself. It's like, you know, just, just do a little bit less, a little easier, a little softer. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. yeah. And that, that was it. That was yeah, how, that's even, how I slipped into poses, doing finally yeah. softening, not trying hard. Softening, yeah. Mm -hmm. Trying trying less hard, probably. Less. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you, to even to have that like awareness that that you can change that, because lots of people feel like fixed, like a very fixed kind of, you know, energy or entity. But for you, obviously, you know, whether I don't know if it was the yoga practice or what, but you had a sense that you were quite malleable and like could change and yeah transform definitely. yourself into something very different mm -hmm. and or absolutely like uh, the body the physical the way that my body physically changed from 2000 until now 2022 you know from starting in hatha yoga from a book to like casual practice on my own to finally finding some guidance with teachers you know um i i think all of it was just sloughing off slowing things down refining mm -hmm. being a little mm -hmm. calmer a little quieter yeah. um yeah so i it's a good thing i mean it's still working right yeah still changing i i want to <laughs> i want to kind of dig into this subject just a little bit i haven't i have a, a final question but i i want to dig into this for a moment um i think it's especially interesting this week in, in terms of talking about female auto autonomy over themselves um one of the, just to set up one of the things that i would that i would do working with young kids in in title one schools and urban settings is is that i would talk about um you know reframing your personality it, towards who you're talking to and so if you're being approached by a police officer taking deep breaths and not being as reactive can literally keep you alive and so I would talk to them about that. And then the the pushback on that politically is that I'm being a tone police. I'm I'm saying you have to shift your personality for the so that the patriarchy and the white you know, the white male authoritarians um, uh, don't punish you for being you. Right. So you've got, you know, why well, you've got black kids. It's like, I want to just be myself. I don't want to have to shift my tone so that I don't, you know, get killed by a police officer. Right. Well, you know, women also think have to think about that. I think they have to think about, you know, how do they have to shift their personality um, so that they don't get attacked by men? And it's like, well, that I feel like they shouldn't have to. And so just as maybe I'm I'm putting question? I'm making this a bit too heavy. Like, why should you have to shift yourself gawking into a yoga room? Like you'd be you. You know, you bringing a heavy masculine energy in a class or stomping around. Well, fuck them. Yeah, be you. <laughs> mm. Oh, I see what you're saying. That's that's really precious. I feel like that's right. A yoga shala shouldn't be this place where you have to all of a sudden become this Ashtanga yogi and stand samasiti and listen and adhere and follow mm. the rules and 
you know, yet, you know, there's an, so there's this fine line of teaching an etiquette or teaching a sense of, um, a sense of sensitivity in the yoga room where you can be messy or loud or, or be yourself, but then to know when to, um, to give the, give the student that ability to have that, but also understand that there are some sort of like ethics for the whole room, you know, mm -hmm. that, that makes everybody feel safe, not just them. Mm -hmm. um, like, I like, I like that with just teaching a little bit differently. Like, all right, I want you to use your breath, inhale, your breath, exhale. If that's too fast, then take your time. Or if that bothers you, just take rest. Like, I think that idea of like, let's just give you a little more space to digest this practice mm -hmm. um, without pushing it on you. Um, not to say I'm not still going, lift your arms, look at your thumbs, exhale forward, <laughs> but you want to still teach the right yeah. way. But... <laughs> yeah, there's a funny balance between there being a methodology, but also um, space for interpretation, space for individuality within the methodology, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think not changing someone's walk or changing their walk, I don't think you probably need to unless, unless they knew they, um, uh, if it's going to keep them safe and healthy, then they can just walk the way they want to. I don't think we need to <laughs> change them. But for me, I kind of needed to be told to take a little mm -hmm. more care and walk a little softer in the environment because yeah. it so, represented, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go on about what it represented. Yeah, it represents that that that's what we're trying to do here is listen and soften mm -hmm. or listen and, and be loud, but you're still listening. And if someone's mm. like bum, 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 that environment that is we're creating of like a safe environment for others to see and feel, we don't want to mess with that too much. Yeah. And I think that's, that brings up an important thing about this, the awareness, right? Like self-awareness is not just about like how I'm feeling and how I'm doing. It's like, how is my effect on others, on my environment? Like, how am I affecting the space? How am I affecting other people? That's also self-awareness and then having intention around that. Right. I mean, we all know yeah. yoga is the eight limbs. Like, am I creating harm? Am I creating, you know, a an emotional like disturbance or am I, you know, like how is, what is my effect? Is it an aggressive effect? Is it a peaceful effect? And, and having that self-reflection, self-awareness that all develops with the practice of yoga. And we're all yeah. always changing our behavior and we're all always changing how we are in different spaces. And that's just normal. That's just being human. And mm -hmm. being in a collective human group, the way we are at home is probably quite different than the way we are at work, which mm -hmm. is quite different than the way we are at church, yeah. which yeah. is quite different than the way we are out on the street in a yeah. known area, in an unknown area. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like That's we're true. always changing and adapting. We're never like, like one thing because we're everything and we're nothing. So <laughs> we have infinite potential to be, I mean, all different. those think, things. And I think back in the day when I was beginning yoga, I think I probably wanted to be the one that was seen. So maybe right. that was, you know, yeah. I wanted to be the one that got help. So it's like, sure. Hey, I'm the new girl. I need the help. Or like, <laughs> yeah. you know, a big and then flashing now, light bulb. now when you walk in a yoga room and you're like, Oh gosh, no one sees me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you, you don't really want to have an impact. You want to do your quiet thing. You want to be transparent. Yeah. You want to not like, 
kind of, I'll just kind of hide in the corner. And mm. then maybe in the beginning, it wasn't like that. You want that attention. You want to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're hungry. Mm-hmm. You're hungry for yeah. it. You want that attention. And then, then later as the years go on, you're like, I'm good. Don't touch me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to hide back here. <laughs> don't, don't touch me. I'm yeah. good. Like, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I mean, it's so it's so interesting these subtle these subtleties about our our actions, our behaviors, our personalities, and like all of the stuff that they contain. You know, something as simple as the way that you're walking, like you know, holds within it like so many different things that we don't really think about. But when you start to break it down, yeah, it holds like it can hold like that masculine energy. It can hold sort of an energy of like, I'm here now, you know, let the class begin. It can hold also like a, like a fear about being seen, right. You know, it can hold all kinds of different things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. I I just have, I have one last question for you. This has really been enjoying uh, talking to you and getting to know you, Sarah. This is fantastic. Um, Thank you both. I, you had one, you had one point you wanted to talk about, and I would love to hear your perspective on this. Uh, I was surprised to hear your, um, your feelings about authorization with the, with Sharat and the, and the, I don't know what it's called now, the Sharat Choice Yoga Orthodoxy. Center, the Orthodoxy. You, you yourself haven't pursued it, you know, uh, towards getting an authorization or getting a certification, um, but you have been to Mysore. And yet you sincerely encourage your students to go and get authorized and go get their authorization level too. And I'm, and I'm wondering what value you see in that for them, uh, given that um, you've had, you've been motivated to go in different directions and say yeah, with Dina, I think, for example. I think, that's, I think that's a great question. And I brought it up because I wanted to share a little bit about it. And I feel like that the, 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 the global community of ashtanga yoga this like all these people that practice from all around the world it's like we're all joined together and i like a lot of and there 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 could be some misideas that that people aren't joined together if they're not of of a certain teacher or if they're not in a certain shala and, and from my experience it's like i want that gap to get closed i want people to know that anybody that's practicing Ashtanga yoga sincerely and seriously and cares about it so deeply that, that they too are involved in this great, this great global community. So I don't really see that there's like, oh, there's the authorized ones. And then there's the non-authorized ones, Mm -hmm. but there is that. So (laughs) to, to, to remove that, it's like, just, just go get authorized, be a part of the bigger, keep, keep continuing to click that. Mm-hmm. get that connected mm-hmm. and and then that and that to me is is great because although i didn't go the reason there's lots of reasons why i never went back i met david i met dina um my path kind of went towards studying with them but i i really feel so connected to the people that were authorized and were continuing to go and that's one of the reasons why i wrote you harmony when i heard you got certified so i was like i'm so happy you got certified i was like delighted for you because there's that click again that I met someone who's excellent and special. I met her and she's now certified. Cool. Mm -hmm. So it's like, there's that connection. So I I just feel like my, uh, in particular, my student, Emma Isokivi, who went to Mysore and she's now level two authorized. 
you know, she, she continued to go to Mysore because for lots of reasons, you know, she loves the practice. She loved Guruji. She loved it. But also she knew that this was going to be her career and to mm. carry her career. She, you know, there, she, it would be helpful to her to have mm. as much support in her in that journey. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I felt like I kind of, I just feel like I'm so connected to David and Dean and their blessing has given me lots of, lots of ability to share the method so mm-hmm. sincerely. And so, so I haven't felt like I didn't need the authorization, but I could always use an on authorization. But the truth is, is that I believe that anybody that loves this method so much and practices with such sincerity under the guidance of sincere teachers, mm-hmm. they should teach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I really, I really pushed this issue with Dina one afternoon and we were in in australia and i really kind of went after it with her like about the notion of legitimacy and legitimacy is is a, it's a it's a social construct you know and so you only get a king if everyone agrees that that person is king and no one agrees to it and the king gets removed you know and was pushing that issue like well, what about manju what about your lineage dina and like and she just she wanted to throw the entire conversation up and back at me. It's like, well, what about your sincere pursuit of yoga? <laughs> you know, who, who cares? You know, are you getting, uh, are you pursuing yoga? Are you, uh, are you learning? What do you give a shit about legitimacy or not? It's <laughs> like, okay, fantastic. <laughs> then, yeah, all right. Why? I think she also said a really beautiful thing in that conversation. She's, she said that the parampara is between a teacher and a student. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and that it has nothing to do with what anyone else thinks or, or um, sees, but it's yeah. just the relationship between that teacher and that student. And mm-hmm. that, that, that is the stream of transmission. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a kind of a beautiful thing, like also that you're saying that, you know, when you have those sincere relationships with, with senior teachers or teachers, any, you know, anyone who's been a teacher for you, um, and you've received some transmission from, then that itself is part of, I guess, you know, the authority to teach or that authorization, right? When you have that blessing, um, from, from a teacher or someone that you respect that you've received the teachings from, because we've all received the teachings from someone somewhere along the way, right? Yeah. We don't come into this life knowing how to practice no. yoga or especially Ashtanga no. yoga, right? The, so. the adjustments, the, the talking, yeah. the caring, the sharing, the singing, the bhakti, it's all yeah. transmitted. And um, Dina had a, a fun conversation with me about this one. So she says, you know, Guruji was like a great tree and he had all this fruit hanging on the tree and the fruit of his tree, you know, it's, it's all of, it's all of his oldest students and they all, yeah. the fruit tastes a bit different. Mm. Yeah. So it's like, so it's like, you know, you can have one, many teachers and all that, but like, we're all in the same tree, yeah. mm-hmm. loving, yeah. loving the practice, just so dedicated to it. Mm-hmm. And then if you have a student that are you're with a company of people that have such love for the practice, you're like, yeah, you just go just join the club. Like the club, <laughs> yeah. sounds, the club sounds funny, but like connect yourself with people yeah. 
that are mm. authorized or non-authorized and mm-hmm. go for that connection with someone. Yeah. Um, Each club sandwich is unique. <laughs> I agree. But it's helpful to have a sangha, right? It's helpful to have a community, to uh, have that support, to keep you motivated and inspired and going. It's, it's really important to have a group. I think even if it's just, even if it's someone that you, you email to, right? Like, yeah. like, um, yeah. um, even if it's a, a friend, like, I feel like that way about my, my chanting teacher, David Miliotis, you guys know, David, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. and I, and I don't get to practice with David as much as I like, cause he's really an old friend of mine. I, he was one of the people that I would drive to Bend in Idaho and go see. Yeah, once yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. I knew David when he was in Bend. So he's, he's, yeah. Anyway, and he, um, I, I don't get to practice with him very much, but when I do, it's an email, it's a phone call. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of, it's still, he's my teacher of chanting, but like the relationship is so connected that it's like, sometimes we chant, sometimes not. Yeah. Right. It's like, there's that uh-huh. deep yeah. caring, deep caring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a beautiful yeah. guy. I, a couple of times we've we've made appointments to do the to do the podcast, and we haven't. <laughs> one day. <laughs> one day we'll actually we'll nail one it down. Day, a time. Good <laughs> one day. So one cute. day. I brought him to Edinburgh, and he taught for like a week in my program there. A couple 2017. Yeah. Um, it was before I had Calvin, and we just had the most wonderful time. And all my all the Scottish lo- yogis just loved him to death. So. He's fantastic. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Oh, it's beautiful. Well, this has been such a wonderful conversation. It's been so great to connect with you. And thank you so much for sharing. Harmony and Russell, insights. it's just a delight to talk to you guys. <laughs> and thank you for having me and reaching out. And um, I was just very delighted to be a part of your, your day today. Thank you. I hope so, that we get to Dublin. Yeah, that'd be nice. Right? On our way oh, to yeah, Edinburgh. To Dublin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> One day. Yeah. One day, oh, Guru guys- We'll day. definitely, we'll definitely get you to Dublin. That'd be wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> no, it'd be fun. It'd be fun. Um, but tell everyone where they can find you. What's your, you must have a website. Oh, yeah. So, yep. It's my <laughs> name, sarahhatcheryoga.com. You can find me for some chanting classes. You can come to Mysore. You can come to online class. Do you I do, do the, online class as well? I do the online with the in-house. So it okay. seems to work pretty good. I don't yeah. have this same audio set up, but. I is run it from is it challenging to like do the computer and the real person i, th- I stuff think it's at the going, same time? i think it's kind of cool because the online community knows they're all there and they've all been practicing together now since the pandemic pretty much mm-hmm. for two years so they yeah. mm-hmm. they log on they see each other they do their thing i check in i talk i do some chanting they, mm-hmm. i give specific some instruction i walk away i come back it's kind of like being in a maestro room honestly yeah. because i'm not like staring at them so much so there's a lot of like I'll come back and come see you in a minute. And then I go yeah. work with others, come back. And so uh, it's actually better than when I would just sit there and stare at the Mysore room. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. And then you're just chatting and you're chatting in a sincere way, but you're like talking so much about the physical, the subtle, the breath, yeah. the bond that you don't really do that in a regular Mysore room. No. There is instruction, no, yeah. but you, you do it this way or you do it through, you know, hands-on, you do it through yeah. body, through dem- there's so many ways you can teach in the Mysore room, but online, yeah. there's only one really way. Through your voice. Through your voice <laughs> or maybe yeah. a demonstration, but like, that's kind of. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. That's beautiful. It's neat to hear your experience of that. Cause I've, I've been curious how teachers have been adapting to it. And if it's great, you've kind yeah. of found a rhythm with it all. 
yeah, I think I've found the rhythm and I, I think it's here to stay for me because the community I have online is they're, they're from all over, not just yeah. Ireland. And so yeah. they can come, they know I'm at the same time every day. And then where's the Dublin crew that I, they're kind of my babies. I need to grow them a bit more. Like yeah. I'm watering them a lot. Like, okay, guys come early. Yeah. <laughs> online crew is always <laughs> there you know they're, they they yeah. don't they're they're kind of more established yeah and, yeah and it's so interesting right having to like grow an in-person program again from the from the ground up really since even the pandemic right yeah, yeah a lot of a lot of beginners that i just yeah. te- te- teaching chanting te- teaching basic things like the invocation and beautiful so it just takes time as you know yeah yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. But yeah. it will it will flourish for sure. So thanks, Harmony. Yeah. yeah. They're gonna I they're gonna they're in good hands. They are in great hands. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. can feel Thank that. You, That's Russell. what I want to say. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yep. I, I I hope so. And I can't wait to see the Dublin community grow. So yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks, guys, for having mm-hmm. me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking Oh